Let's open our Bibles to um, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, where Paul read for us earlier. The Gospel of John is divided into five different sections. We completed um, section 1 and 2. This morning we find ourselves in chapter 6. If you're taking notes, 5 through chapter 12 is the opposition that's going to arise on the Son of God. So I think a good way to start this morning is um, to give you an overview of chapter 6, and then we will tie most of it together this morning. Um, John chapter 6 really begins with Jesus at the height of his popularity. An overview is uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in the first 14 verses. Uh, Jesus looks at a multitude of about 5,000 people, and he has compassion on them. He then gives them food. He then backs away from them. Then they go to find him. He shares with them. And at the close of the chapter, they desert him. So basically, here's an overview of, the, of our study this morning has compassion on them, gives them food, he backs away from them, they go to find him, he shares with them things they really don't want to hear because they're offended, and at the close of the chapter, after they realize what's going on, they depart from him. So that's sort of an overview. Um, It'll help you as you think the chapter through as we go through it this morning. So let's look at uh, the first 14 verses. the feeding of the 5,000. So after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. There was a great multitude who followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And then Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And now the Passover feast of the Jews was near, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these all may eat? But this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Now I'll stop here. I'll point this out about three different times this morning, that the Lord already knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's going to do. And we're going to see that um, several times this morning with the crowd. He's going to tell them something that only they think they know. And this is consistent as we go through the Gospel of John. So here he says, I'm testing them, for he already knew what he's going to do. And then Philip answered and he said, Well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have even a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother said to him, well, there's this lad, and he has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down, and there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in numbers about 5,000 people. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. 
And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, now gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So the study this morning I've entitled, I am the bread of life. And we have uh, this section of 5,000 people, and we're dealing with this verse here where they have five loaves of bread and just two fish. And from this, um, we don't know exactly how the miracle happened. Uh, Just as they were distributing, did it reproduce? We don't know how it happened. We just know the end of the story. And that's that all 5,000 were fed. All 5,000 were satisfied, obviously, if you're going to have 12 baskets left over. Now, I'm going to talk to the critics of the Bible who have a problem with miracles. And their explanation for this account is, um, they explain it this way. A little bit of fish and bread, and the boy shares it. So at this point, they see this little guy come up, and he's willing to share. And the skeptics who don't believe in miracles say when they saw the little boy do that, they were convicted in their heart. Everybody had food. They were just hiding it up their sleeves. And um, when they saw the little boy share, they felt convicted. And they thought, if he can do it, we can do it. So they took all the bread that they had. And everybody had their own lunchbox with them, of course, because you can't produce out of thin air enough food to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And the answer to that is, of course you can. Is anything too difficult for God? The response was, when all was said and done, truly, this is a prophet who has come into the world. We're gonna keep our eye on this multitude. It's a mixed multitude that's gonna play into our uh, study uh, this morning. So we have this next event that, verse 15, therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and make him uh, by force to make him king, he departed to a mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea towards Capernaum. So they're by Tiberius, on the way to Capernaum, Tiberius is on the west side, about 10 miles, no, not that far, about four or five miles south of the tip. And um, I would compare it to um, being by Waverly Beach <laughs> on Lake Winnebago and going down towards um, the south side of Nina. And if you can get that sort of pictured in your mind's eye, that's what we're looking at here because Actually, Lake Winnebago and the Sea of Galilee are very, very similar. Lake Winnebago is a little bit bigger. And now it was dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, it became a great wind, was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, that's about the distance from Tiberias to Capernaum, they were in the middle, and we'll find this out in in, um, Matthew's gospel. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, so they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately, you want to catch this here, because there's going to be four miracles in this story. Then immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now to get a complete picture of of what's happening here, you need to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read the same story with more information, picking it up on verse 22. The people are all excited. They want to make Jesus king. Man, would he make a great king. He can, he can have a welfare program like no other. Uh, he'll take care of the poor, and we want to forcibly make him king. So the Lord perceives this, so he doesn't want any part of that. But he takes off and goes into the mountain. Matthew's going to fill in some areas here. Matthew 14, 22 to 32. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now, and this is what John doesn't tell us, is in the middle of the sea. So it's right in the middle between Tiberias and Capernaum. In the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the winds were contrary, it was the fourth watch. Now, the fourth watch would be between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come to you on the water. So the Lord says, come on. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he went on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he became afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you have you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt, Peter? Well, Lord, I was walking on water, <laughs> for one thing, and the storm was all around me, and I began to check out how bad the storm was, and he took his eyes off the Lord. Obviously, the application in here, the simple one, is in the middle of a storm. Um, it's like um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, but the Lord was with them in the fire, and therefore they weren't hurt. But when you take your eyes off the Lord and onto the circumstance, whatever your circumstance might be this morning, you begin to sink, and you begin to go down. So turn your eyes upon Jesus and look into his face, and the things of this world will go strangely dim. So the application is the Lord saying, why don't you doubt And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So let's count up. This plays into our story. Um, We have four miracles in this account of the Lord walking on the water. Uh, Miracle number one is Jesus walks on the water. Uh, Miracle number two, Peter walks on the water. Miracle number three, when Jesus gets in the boat, remember they're in the middle 
between Tiberias and Capernaum, but as soon as the Lord gets in the boat, I really am from Wisconsin and I boat. <laughs> the boat was immediately at Capernaum. So it was translated, and then um, miracle number four, there was a terrible storm going on, but as soon as the Lord put his foot in the boat, we read the storm ends immediately. So we have four miracles taking place um, on this account. All right, let's go back to the Gospel of John. So we have the feeding of the 4,000, 5,000. They want to make him king. The Lord will have no part of it. And so he gets in the boat and um, heads to Capernaum. And then we find in verse 22 through 26, we'll stop. On the following day, so now it was at night, so that next day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples but the disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? Now that is um, sort of a a trick question. Uh, They're there, and it's gonna be exposed for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus said unto them, he cuts to the quick, Most assuredly I say to you that you seek me not because of the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. So again, I want to stop in verse 26. And John's gospel always tells us something about that person. This case is a little bit different because it's not one individual, but a whole multitude, persons. Persons, something that only... Jesus knew about them that they didn't know that Jesus knew. Is everybody with me on that? So he's exposing the real motive of their heart. Oh, Lord, where were you? We've been looking all over for you. No, you're not looking for me. You're looking for another free meal because you ate of the loaves, and that's the real reason that you're here. So the idea is following the Lord for a wrong motive. And um, this brings us to, after he corrects them there in verse 26, let's look at verses 27 through 29. He then begins to try to get them to focus on what's really important. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. And then they said to him, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, what do you want us to do? If it's not about the food, then what work do you want us to do? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, this is a foundational scripture for any person who calls himself a believer. And it's the answer um, to legalism. It's the answer to your freedom in the Lord of 
if I'm any part of the equation, if you're any part of the equation of adding to the finished work anything other than it's all about Jesus and what he did, period, if we add anything to that, then it's not by grace, but, it, but it's by works. And as the scripture says, if it's grace, it's grace. But if it's works, it's works. They're saying, what work can we do? And the Lord's saying, you really can't. Because the only work you can really do is believe on me. The work's gonna be done through me, and all I'm asking you to do is believe that. So in these verses here, um, this is the work of God that you believe him. Again, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. He then reveals to them, uh, picking it up, um, oh, this is the work of God, 27 through 29. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Titus. It's right before Philemon and right after 2 Timothy. You will find uh, three chapters of the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 7. First of all, he is talking to Titus, and he says, Remember to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, uh, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, take out. Take out your bulletin. I know I'm getting sidetracked here. Just take out your bulletin. Isn't that a great verse that Paul gives to Timothy? To, to live a, a, a quiet life and just be peaceable. Isn't that a great, that's, that's what you want to put on the fridge. <laughs> and basically that's what he's saying here. Be peaceable, be gentle, showing all humi- humility to all men. For we ourselves were once were foolish, disobedient, Deceived, saying, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, and here's the verse, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We had nothing to do with it. Well, I sought the Lord, I finally found him, and he saved me. No, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, he went looking for you, and he went looking for me. And he's the one who did the seeking, and he's the one who did the finding. It's a good place for an amen. So again, uh, we're out of the equation. What is the work of God? To believe in the finished work. And that truth will set you free. Why? Because again, if we're part of it, we'll mess it up somehow, some way. We'll lose our peace. We'll lose our freedom. But if the work of God is just to believe that it's all about the Lord and what he's done, and I become a partaker of that, that's where the freedom comes in. Whom he poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified... By his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's go back to John's Gospel, chapter 6, 30 to 35. So he's trying to get through to them. So they're asking, okay, we're not going to do a works. We can't do works. So um, how about you show us another miracle? 
Verse 30, therefore, they said to him, well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And they gave him an example for a miracle. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And the Lord interrupts them, and he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Now, tie this in with the woman at the well. Because this is going to, um, they're hungry, they're wanting food. And so the woman was thirsty, was asking for the water that the Lord had. And Jesus answered, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So they come up with this miracle. We want to see a sign, just like Moses. So with that, let's go back to that. We need to go all the way back to the book of Exodus. And really, the heart of our Bible study this morning has to do with these scriptures. So I'm going to camp on it a little bit because it's really going to be the main point of our study this morning. Exodus chapter 16, um, picking it up in verse 15. They're beginning their wilderness journey. Um, The Lord has to provide for a multitude of almost two million people who are gonna be traveling for the next 40 years. And to survive, you're gonna need food and you're going to need water. So picking it up in verse 15, um, we find how the Lord is going to provide for them. So when the children of Israel, let's pick it up, uh, verse 14. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, well, what is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is a bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let each man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so, and some gathered more and some less. So when they measured it by omers, He who had gathered much had nothing over, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one his need. Just as the Lord did with the two fish and the five loaves, so the Father is feeding them in a miracle. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning. It bred worms and stank, And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. But on the sixth day, that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow 
It's a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And this is um, how they could cook manna. You could bake it. You could boil it. Uh, They bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. So it was cookable. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink. So we have a miracle taking place here. Um, Nor were there worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, you won't find any. So make sure you gather twice as much on Friday, because Saturday you're going to go out and it's not going to be there. Now it happened that some of the people, here's human nature jumping all over this, went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white cordon seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, fill an omer of it, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So, it was good only on a daily basis, If you tried to bring some in for two days, it would breed worms, and it would stink, not edible, except on Friday. You could gather twice as much. It wouldn't uh, stink, and it wouldn't breed worms, but then they took some of it and put it in a pot, and this is going to last for generation to generation to generation. There were three items at one time in the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and this pot of manna. Uh, later on, we're going to find we don't know what happened to the pot of manna because it's not there when they, they um, bring the ark back um, from the land of the Philistines. I'm getting a little sidetracked here. Let's finish this chapter. Then Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, okay, for generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. This is what God said I'm going to give to you. Um, It is going to sustain you. Eventually, they got sick and tired of manna. And they said, we've had it with manna up to here. We don't want manna anymore. Can't you spice things up a little bit? They began to think of the onions and the leeks and the garlic that was in Egypt. And they began to long for that. And they said, man, can't you do something else with this? We've tried everything. We've tried banana bread. We've tried manicotti. We've tried tried everything. And it is just bad and we're tired of it give us something else no the Lord gave them bread from heaven which is 
if you're taking notes, I'll just quote Matthew and, and Luke say the same thing. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's in Mark 4 and Luke 4. Deuteronomy 3, 8, 3 says, So he humbled you, allowed you to go hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, uh, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God gave them the manna for 40 years to get them into the promised land. Okay, here's the equivalent. If we would go to Acts chapter two right now, we're not going to, I'm just gonna quote it. But the whole idea of the early church is that what they did were four things. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. What was that? That was Bible studies. They were in the word on a daily basis. Then he had fellowship with one another. We had a great time with Jay Seeger, man. And the stakes, ooh. <laughs> That's just for those of you who missed it. Because it was really good. Fellowship. So we had, we had uh, the teaching of the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, communion, remembering the Lord. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then um, breaking of bread and prayer. And the importance of doing those four things. That's, that's the cornerstone, my friends, of being a Christian. Not adding anything to that. It's another Bible study this morning. We're in John 6. Guess where we're going to be on Wednesday? John 7. And next week, John 8. And it's the same thing every time. We come and we worship the Lord. Um, can't we spice that up a little bit? Get some lasers, some smoke lights, some... No, no. We worship the Lord simply. And uh, we're blessed to have the worship team that we have. And then we teach the Bible simply, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it's the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. We don't try to make it fancy. I don't run around a stage, and we just try to keep it the same so that the Holy Spirit can take what's being taught and we see the connection. What's the connection here? God gave them manna to get them from point A to point B. God has given you his word when you become a Christian, and that is the word of God. He's not gonna spice it up, and uh, when we get done with Revelation 22, we'll go back to Genesis 1 and do it all over again. I hope not. I hope we get to go home before we go through the word another time. That's my hope. But the application, my friends, here is that being content and understand what's biblical is that God uh, has given you his word. A lot of people have gotten away from teaching the word of God. They've gotten into programs. They've gotten into the idea that it's all about you. Instead, it's really all about Jesus is what we're finding out, and you're really out of the equation. And he's saying if you want to make it to point A to point B, then just keep on keeping on. When I read those four things from Acts chapter two and I look at them, I, I think to myself, you know, that's doable. If there's a work that God wants me to do, I can do that. I can do that my whole Christian life from point A to point B. I thank the Lord for Pastor Chuck and the example that he set by simply teaching the word of God simply. No flash, no glamour, week by week, 
And um, for my generation, which was the, the, the Jesus people that got saved during, during that time, um, Chuck didn't try to become one of us. He was still bald, <laughs> and we weren't. Uh, but it didn't matter. When he simply opened up the scriptures and began to teach, it, it, it spoke to us. But it wasn't because of the speaker, because we were light years apart. And his first look at hippies was, take a bath and get a job. You know, that was his, his attitude. But that wasn't Kay's attitude. She really had a heart um, for that generation. And how I thank the Lord that she did have a heart for that generation. And all that came out of it. So um, we, let's go back to John. And let's remember that John's gospel is selective. John chapter 6 verse 35 tells us, I am the bread of life. All right, how does John write his gospel? Seven I am statements, this is one of them. I am the bread of life. This is one of the seven here. And he who comes to me shall never be hungry, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, Picking up now with verse 36 through 51, we'll actually go 36 to 43 here. 36, but I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Would you please just mark that, because I'm going to come back to that verse in a little bit. The reason that Jesus came down was not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of us he has given me, I shall lose nothing and should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All right, now they're listening to this. And the reaction to what he just said is why we're in that section about the opposition to the Son of Man. We see it surface here in chapter 6 in verse 41. Then the Jews murmured and against him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They have a problem with that. And they said, hey, hold on. Is this this Jesus, the, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, we know Joseph and Mary. How is it that he says that I've come down from heaven? Okay, again, I want to point out, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, because they were murmuring behind his back. That's what's being implied here. In verse 43, the Lord asked them, hey, are you guys murmuring (laughs) behind my back among yourselves? Again, I want to point out, Jesus is exposing something that they don't know that he knows. And so they're murmuring, complaining, we know Mary, we know Joseph, so on and so forth. And he calls them out. He says, I know you're, I know you're talking about me behind my back. I know you're murmuring. Do you, do you murmur among yourselves? No one comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learns from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, 
except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And again, the second time, I am. And again, this is the I am that we talked about um, when Moses spoke to the burning bush and he was sent to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Well, who shall I say sent me? What's your name? And the voice said, just say, I am that I am. Say, I am has sent you. And now, the same voice is speaking again, and he's saying, I am. It's the same word, the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Now we enter the section that has caused a lot of people to wander in a false doctrine of what communion is really all about because he's going to get into an area of what does it mean when he said, um, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give him is my flesh and I will give him the life of the world. All right, this again uh, results in opposition. The Jews therefore began quarreling among themselves, saying, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're trying to comprehend what he's saying. It's almost like Nicodemus. Nick, you need to be born again. What do you mean born again? I'm an old man. Do I go in my mother's womb and come out again? What do you mean born again? They're thinking in physical terms. And the Lord says, no. It's um, um, like the wind. It's the Holy Spirit moves, you can see the results of it and the evidence of it, but it's actually invisible. It's the same here. Jesus said in a verse, um, they're thinking of the flesh, of course. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my drink is blood indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forevermore. So what is the Lord talking about? Let me just comment on verse 59 because we'll be there in a couple of weeks. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. In a couple of weeks, we'll actually be standing on the foundation. There's another synagogue that has been built and the ruins are still there. But the foundation is actually this one that we're reading in John chapter 6, verse 59. It's still there today. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be giving this Bible study in that synagogue. Um, that's just a little plug if you ever want to go to Israel. Talk about, I'm just looking at it right now. I can't read this verse without getting a visual. Um, but it, it, it begs the question at this point, what is he talking about? Well, he's laying the foundation what, what eventually is going to become part of the four things that I told you about. The Apostles Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread. Breaking of Bread is communion. And we do it on a regular basis for what purpose? 
Well, to do this, we read in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. So that once a month when we have communion here, again, I can do that for the long haul, and I can remember um, what the main thing is all about. It's what he did. So what is he saying here that's gonna offend them so much as they're trying to comprehend, how do I eat you? How do I drink your blood? Can I just stop here? And to tell a Jew that he has to drink blood, do you know the response that that triggers in the mind of a Jewish person? That is beyond any question. So we cannot be talking about literal blood here. That that was so deeply embedded in the heart of a Jewish person that um, even the conditions for the early church is all grace, but he said if you're gonna be born again, that means you can't sleep around anymore, and by the way, don't eat anything that's been strangled. In other words, the blood's still in it. They actually added that in Acts chapter, I think it's 15, for do's and don'ts and being a Christian. I mean, there's just certain things that you give up when you get saved, okay? For me, the very first thing that went, I used to, I used to take the name of the Lord in vain. It was just natural. You know, I didn't mean it, but I just did it. <laughs> but when I was born again, I caught myself saying, Jesus. And then it finally, <laughs> I love Jesus. Why am I doing that? And I finally got down just to J, J. And I go, oh, I can't, I can't do that anymore. But you know, it's a process. And the Lord takes you a little bit at a time and, and makes you into he, who he is. And so what's going on here is what does it mean to eat his body and drink his flesh? Let's go back to verse 38. Why did the Lord come down? For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And now he's telling them to eat what he is. Well, what is he? Well, he's simply a messenger that is being obedient not to do his own will, but the will of one who sent him. And he's identifying that with me now and with you. So what does it mean to eat of the body and to drink of the blood? Jesus said, let this mind be in you, which is in me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse one. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Paul speaking to the Romans. What does it mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Well, he came to lay his body down. He came not to do his own will. He only came as we'll read here, now Paul is telling us and giving us insight into what communion is really all about. I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your what? Your bodies. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to you, which is your reasonable service. That's what the Lord did. Verse 38, he did not come to do his own will. So now, if we're to identify with him, in communion and be a partaker of him, practically what that's saying is right here. The Lord gave his body, and now Paul says, I want you to give your body. I want you to lay it down as a living sacrifice on the altar. And of course, the joke is, the problem with living sacrifices is they have a tendency to crawl off the altar once they're on the altar. But if you're dead, then you're saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's what's being implied here. 
Okay, so now the crowd is figuring out we're not going to get another free meal here. And um, let's go back to John. They're thinking this through, John 6. As they think this through, he taught this in Capernaum. Now let's look at the reaction to the multitude as they finally are starting to understand what he's saying. They just figured out, look, we're not going to get another free meal here today. And he's asking us to do what he does. You mean I can't do my own thing anymore? You mean I got to pray about the Lord? You mean I have to acknowledge him in everything that I do? Answer to all those three questions, yes, yes, and yes. And as we do that, it is no longer my will, but his will. And, but that is not what they wanted to hear. Therefore, many of his disciples, verse 60, when they heard this, said, oh, this is a hard saying. Do you, you know what you're asking us to do here? You're asking us to not be in charge of my own life anymore. Who can understand it? Well, they, understand, they, they understood it all too well. They just didn't like what they heard. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? You gotta lay down your life, no longer your will, does that offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The Bible study we're having this morning is the bread from heaven. The, man, the bread that we can't live without. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And that's simply what we're doing simply this morning. Uh, the words, they're the real life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who uh, did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted Uh, to him by my father. Now verse 66, they finally understood what was being said. And at this point, the line is drawn. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. No free meal? I'm out of here. I'm here for a free meal. And uh, it's not happening. And he's actually asking us to not have our will, but only the will of the Father. Verse 38, again, comes into play. Not my will, but the will of him who sent me. Romans 12, verse one. We have to do the same thing. Present, Lord, here I am. Flexible today. This is what the schedule says, but I'm flexible. If you've got other plans and you want to do something, just let me know. Tap me on the shoulder. Go this way, go that way. I'm open, Lord. A blessed are, here's a chuckism, Blessed are the flexible, they shall not be broken. Isn't that a good one? Just be flexible. Go with the flow. And um, go with the flow is another way of saying when they had this 40 years of um, in the wilderness, they went with the flow. When the cloud lifted and began to move, they broke camp. And they followed it. They went with the flow. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And they set up camp, and they stayed there until when? until the cloud went up again, and it moved. So you want to move when he's moving. And that's the whole idea of uh, what we call Christianese walking in the spirit, just trying to be sensitive to the Lord's voice and turning to the right or to the left. So the reaction by this, by many, were they no longer followed him. 
Now, let's finish this chapter. Verse 61, of course, Jesus knows who would uh, betray him. Verse 67, so now many of them have left. Then Jesus turned to the 12, and he says, do you guys also want to go too? He says, the whole multitude has left. Do you want to go too? And it was Simon Peter who answered and said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So if you're taking notes, Matthew 22, verse 14 says this. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many claim to be Christian, but when they really begin to understand what this is all about, that you're not in charge anymore, verse 38, you can't do your own will, but the Lord's will, many call, that call themselves believers really are not. They've gotten away from the simple teaching of this book and replaced it with programs and church being all about you. What's in it for me? And that's the whole idea of the guys that took off. No more free meals? I'm out of here. I mean, this is what it's all about? Another Bible study? <laughs> well, if you're like Peter, we go, what else? What else is there? What else is there than getting into the word and studying it and allow it to speak to us and increase our faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. No other way. So Peter nails it here, says the right thing. And we find um, the Lord said to them, did I not choose you, the 12? They're the few. And one of you is a devil. This he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. But the Lord already knew that too. And he knew this all the time. He wasn't surprised when Judas got up and betrayed him. He knows it right here, long long before the event actually takes place. We'll close this morning with looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. So let's make our way to 1 Peter 2. Also put your fingers in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. We'll be in those two closing scriptures this morning. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2 Verses one through three. Main point of the study this morning was the Bible study that we're having this morning is good for this morning. It's no good for tomorrow morning. Um, And you have to feed yourself, so to speak, rather than coming here and having a study. So the idea of being in the word on a daily basis is the main point of the study this morning. New Testament teaching, Old Testament picture. It has to be done on a daily basis. And so we read here for new Christians. If you're a new Christian, then we read here, therefore laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes. You can be 50 years old and be born again, Nicodemus was old, and you're a baby Christian, and you're just a babe even though you're 50 years old in the flesh. You're only been born. 
So as a newborn babe, what do we feed babies? Well, we give them milk. They can handle that. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that's what we're to desire, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you understand the grace of God, it's not about you. What's the work of God? Oh, that you believe in me. That's it, that's it. Believe on that and you'll have eternal life. And get into the word if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Turn to Hebrews chapter five and let's talk about those who have been in the Lord a little bit longer. Well, this isn't in my notes, but I'm gonna read it anyway. Let's, before I read five, let's read the first couple of verses of chapter six. He's talking about to older believers right now who are still on baby food, okay? Hebrews chapter six. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, I would say the ABCs of being a Christian, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. When you get saved, what do you do? Well, you repent of all the dead works that were before you, and you do a 360, and you have faith now towards the Lord instead. And the doctrine of baptism. Well, after you get saved, believe and be what? Believe and be baptized. So there's the doctrine of baptism on the laying on of hands. Well, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we baptize somebody, we not only baptize them, but we pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And then it jumps ahead in the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. I mean, in a nutshell, there's the doctrines of the ABCs of the Christian life. Getting saved, getting baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we live the Christian life, we're resurrected, and um, the the judgment seat of Christ for us. So he's speaking to older believers that are still drinking milk. All right, Hebrews chapter five, uh, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you Again, the first principles, that's what we just read, of the oracles of God, and you should have, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food, meat, belongs to those who are of full age, that is those who by reason of use having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you grow in the Lord, there is this awareness. All of a sudden, you become discerning. Uh, And you make judgments. You say, this is right, this is wrong. Oh, but now you're judging. You're not supposed to judge anyone. Didn't you ever read that? Judge and you won't be judged? No. The spiritual man who's got meat on his bones reads something, knows what's true, knows what's not true, The spiritual man judges all things. I can't judge the motive of your heart, but I can judge a doctrine. If I would judge a doctrine this morning that's a false doctrine, I would say it's transubstantiation in the Eucharist and taking communion and only a priest can perform it and he can only do it at an altar where they say literally that this is the body of Jesus that only a priest can transform, that's where we get the word transubstantiation. It is necessary for salvation, and the blood is literal blood. 
So if I'm gonna be wise and discerning and I just had a Bible study on eating the body and blood of Jesus, I have to tie that in somewhere. That is um, false doctrine. It is blasphemy. And it has nothing to do with what the Bible, Jesus is saying here in John chapter six. And I know that upsets people when I, I throw that out there, but I have to. Because why? Because I'm discerning between what, what's right and what's wrong. Our Bible study this morning about eating the Lord's flesh is not having our own will be done, taking our bodies, Romans 12. Here's my body, Lord, I give it to you. Just like you did, not my will be done, but your will be done, taking on your mind, and um, to say that it's the literal body and blood, and by the way, they're the only people that are really saved. If you ask, ask a Catholic, um, that, that really puts them in a corner if they're old school Roman Catholic. You see, I'm not saved because I don't partake of something only the priest can give me. And um, your sins are forgiven because you sin on a regular basis. You have to come to Mass. You have to have the Eucharist because it's the body and blood. Jesus said, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life within you. They quote that, but they're quoting it out of context. It's not biblical, so it needs to be exposed as false doctrine. So send me an email, and I'll send you some happy faces back or something. I don't know. So we had, in closing, uh, we had meat at the stake and study. Jay Seeger's message was meat. And it was well done, as Paul Moe would say. And it was a, a Bible study that ministered to why young people lose their faith once they leave the church and go on to college. And Jay just knocked it out of the ballpark. I hope we got DVDs of it because I really strongly encourage you to get it. And it was uh, basically, if I would sum up Jay's message, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Let's reason it out. Let's talk about this. Here's evidence for your faith. You have faith, but can you back it up? Can you back it up with sound principles and doctrines? And believe me, by the time Jay was done, it seems like he was up there for 10 minutes, but I guess he was up there a lot longer than that. It didn't seem like it. But if you haven't got it, especially if you're raising kids, um, they need to be equipped to not just believe, they believe, but can they back it up? And um, Jay's message was just meat. Amen? Let's stand and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As again, we simply teach through your word, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Thank you for your word, Lord, and help us never murmur and complain about the food that you've given us to eat. Help us be like Peter, Lord, that says, where else are we gonna study? If it's not the word of God, then where else are we gonna go? So we've come to believe, Lord, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And Lord, please add to our, our um, faith, wisdom, and discernment, and um, not be afraid to stand up and expose false doctrine or uh, support truth. So we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And taking communion. And only a priest can perform it. And he can only do it at an altar where they say literally that this is the body 
of Jesus that only a priest can transform. That's where we get the word transubstantiation. It is necessary for salvation, and the blood is literal blood. So if I'm going to be wise and discerning, and I just had a Bible study on eating the body and blood of Jesus, I have to tie that in somewhere. That is um, false doctrine. It is blasphemy. And it has nothing to do with what the Bible, Jesus is saying here in John chapter six. And I know that upsets people when I, I throw that out there, but I have to. Because why? Because I'm discerning between what, what's right and what's wrong. Our Bible study this morning about eating the Lord's flesh is not having our own will be done, taking our bodies, Romans 12. Here's my body, Lord, I give it to you. Just like you did, not my will be done, but your will be done, taking on your mind, And um, to say that it's the literal body and blood, and by the way, they're the only people that are really saved. If you ask a Catholic, um, that that really puts them in a corner if they're old school Roman Catholic. You see, I'm not saved because I don't partake of something only the priest can give me. And um, your sins are forgiven because you sin on a regular basis. You have to come to Mass. You have to have the Eucharist because it's the body and blood. Jesus said, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life within you. They quote that, but they're quoting it out of context. It's not biblical, so it needs to be exposed as false doctrine. So send me an email, and I'll send you some happy faces back or something, I don't know. So we had, in closing, uh, we had meat at the stake and study. Jay Seeger's message was meat. And it was well done, as Paul Moe would say. And it was a a Bible study that ministered to why young people lose their faith once they leave the church and go on to college. And Jay just knocked it out of the ballpark. I hope we got DVDs of it because I really strongly encourage you to get it. And it was uh, basically, if I would sum up Jay's message, The Lord says, come, let us reason together. Let's reason it out. Let's talk about this. Here's evidence for your faith. You have faith, but can you back it up? Can you back it up with sound principles and doctrines? And believe me, by the time Jay was done, it seems like he was up there for 10 minutes, but I guess he was up there a lot longer than that. It didn't seem like it. But if you haven't got it, especially if you're raising kids, um, they need to be equipped to not just believe. They believe, but can they back it up? And um, Jay's message was just meat. Amen? Let's stand and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As again, we simply teach through your word, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Thank you for your word, Lord, and help us never murmur and complain about the food that you've given us to eat. Help us be like Peter, Lord, that says, where else are we going to study? If it's not the word of God, then where else are we going to go? So we've come to believe, Lord, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And Lord, please add to our, our um, faith, wisdom, and discernment, and um, not be afraid to stand up and expose false doctrine or... Uh, support truth. So we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name.